Uh, this morning, we're uh, once more returning to, to the kind of theme of Christmas, I suppose, and looking at a passage, well, at least not often preached at carol services, Matthew 1, uh, the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, do you know what? Let's just stretch our legs. Let's stand up for the reading. As we hear God's word, let's stand to hear the Lord's voice. Matthew 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the family of father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Uh, Our Father, you spoke your word and the universe came into existence. Uh, This morning, therefore, as we hear that same word carried to us, on that same spirit, we pray uh, that you would cause faith to spring into existence in our hearts. Grow what is there already. Create it uh, where there is nothing. Uh, bless us, we pray. Uh, for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And there are all sorts of famous first lines, aren't there? Uh, depending on your kind of literary tastes. When shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain? A mouse took a stroll in a deep, dark wood. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You probably recognise at least one of those lines. And perhaps you might wonder why Matthew begins his gospel in a seemingly so uninspiring way. A huge list of names, a genealogy as it's called. Now, now to us, it would seem instantly perhaps not the most exciting story uh, in the Gospels. But that very first verse, the book of the genealogy, literally the genesis uh, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that would be an electric headline uh, for Jews uh, who first read it, okay, for those who knew their Old Testament. That is up there with COVID cured, okay, world peace. It's the kind of news that, that were we to understand it properly, would totally blow us away. So I want to think about just two things this morning uh, from this genealogy. 
Uh, the first is just from verse 1. I'm going to first one just from verse 1, and then we'll look at the rest of it all together. Uh, very simply, verse 1 tells us that Christ is the king who's come to bless the world. He's the king who's come to bless the world. Two names in verse 1, aren't there? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Three names if you include Jesus. Notice the order. There's something wrong there. If, you, if you're writing that verse, what, what's wrong with that verse? Okay, it helps if you know your Old Testament a little bit. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. They're sort of the wrong way around, aren't they? See, the rest of the genealogy starts with the oldest figure, Abraham, and comes forward in time. But here it's David first. David, the son of Abraham. Uh, the focus, in other words, is going to be on David all the way throughout. Now, David, children, as I'm sure you remember, David was the great king of the Old Testament, uh, the first of the truly great kings. And it was to David that God promised that one day one of his descendants would rule forever. Uh, and that's why, uh, certainly from David in the genealogy onwards, all those figures are kings. It's a tracing of the royal line. Uh, in March 2017, there was a, a, an article, an advert, sorry, taken out in the Times uh, by a guy called Alan Evans. And it began this, began like this. Take heed and rejoice, all Welshmen, Scots, Manx, all Britons and all citizens of this great nation called Great Britain. Uh, and uh, Alan Evans went on to claim uh, that he was the true heir okay, of the first king. It's the earliest kings of the Britons, Grenada. Uh, he graciously uh, told Queen Elizabeth that he would give her 30 days to abdicate and get out of Buckingham Palace before he moved in. Uh, but he claimed that the true bloodline from the first British kings led to him. Now, Alan is currently living in a, in a, a trailer park in Colorado. Uh, and his claim to the throne is, let's put it this way, somewhat disputed. But, but bloodlines matter to royal families, don't they? And part of what Matthew is doing here is, is the gospel begins this way, is showing that Jesus is the legitimate heir, the legitimate heir to David's throne. Okay, God has kept his promise that one of David's descendants uh, will inherit. Uh, that's why it ends, uh, verse 16, Joseph, the son of Mary. Okay, the whole thing comes down to Jesus' adopted father. Just a little note there, by the way. Remember Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father okay, he's born of a virgin okay, so, so Joseph's DNA if you like wasn't contributed to Jesus in the same way that Mary's was but he is still Jesus' father legally Jesus' father okay, adoption for Jews and for us because for the Bible is just as much a, a way of granting parenting as biology okay, it's not the main point of the passage at all but it's just worth noting isn't it Okay? Adopted children are just as much part of the family as biological children. There is no difference in God's eyes. That's tremendously important to the gospel, isn't it? Because all of us are adopted children, ultimately. Uh, none of us are blood relatives uh, of Jesus. So Matthew wants us to know, okay, Jesus is the son of David. And that's why in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is called son of David um, far more than he is in the other gospels. In other gospels, you get the same story told and Jesus is just called, um, which is called the Christ or Lord or whatever. And, and in Matthew's gospel, it's always son of David or very often son of David. But, but, but who cares? 
Uh, who cares? Why does it matter that Jesus inherits the throne of a Middle Eastern kingdom? Well, the other name in verse 1 tells us why. The son of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was promised right back in Genesis that it was his, through one of his descendants, through one of his offspring, one of his seed, that the world would be blessed. Uh, the whole world would be blessed through this one family. Uh, it's like Abraham and, in fact, David uh, were given a key by God okay, that was passed down the generation. I don't know if you've got family heirlooms. I can't say we have. Uh, but, but there's the odd thing that, that you know, I've inherited from my uh, grandfather that's kind of special to me. because Not because it's particularly valuable, but just because it, it was his and I, I've now got it. Well, imagine Abraham passing on a key uh, to his son. And then to his son, his son, right the way down to David. And David then passing on the key down the generations until it ri- arrives in Jesus' hands. And it's a key to a, to a huge box of jewels, a treasure chest that is going to be spread around the world, making everyone rich beyond their wildest dreams, spiritually blessed. Uh, this key has been passed down and no one has been able to unlock the chest until finally it gets to Jesus. Matthew is telling us Jesus is the one through whom God will lavish these blessings. Uh, on the whole world, not just the Jewish kingdom, but the whole world. In other words, the king brings blessing. David is all about kingship, but when you read the stories about Abraham, the promises to Abraham, they're all about blessing. Christ hasn't just come to rule like like a dictator, a conquering king. I have the power, I have the authority, I am the holy one, bow before me. Rather, he's come to bless as well. That's why Christmas is good news. Kings can be good news if they are kind kings, generous kings, benevolent kings. And genealogy, uh, those names, a big list of names, flesh this out a little bit. Uh, They tell us about the width of his love. I wonder if you spotted four odd ones out. Children, did you spot this? There are four, uh, four names in that big list that that are a bit strange. Well, in fact, a lot of them sound a bit strange to us, don't they? All sorts of people. We don't know who they are, frankly, in the second half or the last third. But four names in particular are very different. Four names uh, are women. Everyone else in that line is, is a man, okay, and often a king, particularly from David onwards. But there are four women. Uh, there's Tamar. Uh, there's Rahab. Uh, there's the wife of Uriah. And eventually there's Mary. Uh, what is special? What is, what is special? Why these four women? Well, sometimes people say, well, it's because they're, they're scandalous. Okay? These four women uh, are, are women who've... Oh, sorry. Uh, these four women are, are women who've sinned in some obvious way. But I'm not sure that's, that's right. Uh, do you remember the story of, uh, of Judah and Tamar? Uh, in verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zeran by Tamar. Uh, Judah slept with Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law, but he did so because Tamar dressed up like a, a prostitute. But, but interestingly, at the end of that story, and we can't go into all the details now, uh, Judah ends up saying, Tamar is more righteous than I am. Or think of the story of Rahab. Remember Rahab? Another prostitute? A real prostitute this time. Uh, the one who let the spies uh, into Jericho. But again, in, in the book of James, Rahab is commended as a, as a righteous woman. That's not saying prostitution is okay, but, but rather her faith is what counted. So I'm not sure the emphasis here is so much on all the things these women did wrong. You know, Uriah, Uriah's wife, that's Bathsheba. 
sleeping with David. Uh, rather, that they're highlighted to show that, well, to show that they are Gentiles. All the women included here are Gentiles. Tamar, Rahab, uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay, they are they are non-Jews. All the way through the story, Jesus has been weaving non-Jews into his family. Uh, his, his love, his grace is for everybody, whatever your background, in other words. But his love isn't just wide, it's also deep. Uh, this list, this, this family tree, contains some absolutely horrendous names. Not just horrendous pronounced, but for people who did horrendous things. So imagine a family reunion. Imagine somehow you could get all this family together in one room at one time. Uh, perhaps Joseph takes Jesus along you know, to this family reunion. Jesus is still a, a child, doesn't know who everyone is yet. And, and Jesus says to, 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 to Joseph, um, oh, there's a great-great-grandma Rahab. What, what does she do for a living? Well, a bit, bit awkward, some don't, don't like to talk about that too much. Oh, oh, there's King Solomon. What was his wife called? Well, it's kind of a long story. 300 wives, 700 concubines. What's a concubine, Daddy? Joram. Okay, one of the kings uh, in the list down there in verse 9. Joram killed all his brothers in order to secure his throne. He was so bad that God punished him by making him die by having his bowels drop out. And the people hated him so much, they didn't even give him a funeral. Okay, this is Jesus' family. Or Manasseh. Is Manasseh coming to synagogue with us, Dad? Well, probably not, son. Remember Manasseh? Set up his own altars to, to the, the, the false god Baal. Uh, made everyone bow down to worship another god, not the, not the true god. Oh, where's Manasseh's son, Dad? Well, Manasseh sacrificed his own son to the god Molech. Okay. This family is terrible. They're disgusting people. In many, many cases, they did horrendous things. It's often said, isn't it? You, you, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. The one person that's not true of is Jesus. That these are the people who Jesus chose to be his ancestors. He knew what he was doing when he wove these sinners into his family, into his bloodline. He's the only child who, who chooses his ancestors, isn't he? Because Jesus didn't begin to exist when he was born on earth. Jesus is the eternal son of God. Uh, what, what's the Holy Spirit telling us, therefore, through this genealogy? He's telling us that it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, or whether it's the kind of background you're incredibly ashamed of, or whether it's the kind of thing you'd be happy talking about in public. Jesus will welcome you in. Uh, he's telling us, too, that whatever your history Whatever you've done, whatever sins you're, you're ashamed of, or whatever dark secrets have been shut away in the closet, he is still welcoming you in grace to his family. He will still welcome you if you'll just come to him. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, ends famously with the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptising them into the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Matthew's gospel begins and ends with family. Begins with Jesus' natural family and ends with his spiritual family. 
as we close 2020 out, remember that if you will come to him, he will have you in his spiritual family. And if you are part of his family, no matter what you've done, he won't throw you out again. Maybe 2020 has been a bad year for you. Maybe there are particular things you've done, said, thought that, that, that really gnaw at your soul. The guilt and the shame. Jesus knows. He knew before you did it. He knew while you were doing it. He knows now. And yet still, he welcomes you in his family because he came to save. C.S. Lewis said, the son of God became a man that men might become sons of God. That is what Christmas is about, isn't it? The son of God became a man in order that man, men, mankind, men and women obviously, might become children of God. That is how he builds his family. So he's the king who's come to bless you with eternal life, with forgiveness, with grace. But secondly and finally, he's why you're here. He's why you're here. Uh, why does Matthew bother with, with all the names? Why not just, just go for the big two? Okay, Abraham, so he's come to bless. David, so he's a king. Why all the names? Well, various reasons we've said already to, to demonstrate his legal descent to, to Joseph, to, to show that he inherits the throne. I'm sure that's right. Uh, there's, there's a particular pattern to it. So in verse 17, you see all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Helpfully, the, the ESV, the, and in fact, I don't know if it's, I haven't got a service sheet. I don't know if it's laid out like this in your service sheet. Uh, but in, in the ESV, verses 2 through 6 are the first third. Uh, and that takes us from Abraham to David. Second uh, half of verse 6. Uh, through to the end of verse 11 are David through to the, the exile uh, and then verse 12 through to verse 16, 17 take us from the exile uh, through to Jesus' birth it is written in three sections of three three lots of 14 and Matthew highlights that Okay, verse 17 he tells us 14 generations from Abraham to David 14 from David to the exile 14 from the exile to Jesus why does he do that and why does he draw attention to it it's not because there actually were literally 14 steps in the line okay, if you compare this genealogy with Luke's they're different that's because they're not trying to write every link in the chain okay, they're trying to make a theological point not a strictly historical one a bit like in verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Christ the son of David the son of Abraham is David literally the son of Abraham well no he's good to say how many what, 14 generations down the line from that plus so it's not every single link but, but Matthew wants to highlight 14. Why 14? Uh, this is a bit strange, but, but most of the commentators agree on this. Uh, and it's, it's weird to us because we don't think like this. But, but it's, highlighting, it's highlighting, again, this theme that Jesus is the son of David. Uh, we're used to letters and numbers, aren't we? So you go to school, children, you go to school, you learn your letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you learn your numbers, one, two, three, four, five. But, it, but in, in the ancient world, uh, many many countries didn't have numbers different from letters they used letters as numbers okay, if you learn roman numerals you might know this a kind of v is a five isn't it and an x is a 10 and an l is a 50 and c is a 100 and so on uh, well for the israelites for the jews uh, that was the case as well uh, and what uh, what most of the commentators on this passage point out is that the number 14 is the number of david okay so d is uh, four and V is six. Say so David DVD. They don't have vowels in Hebrew. It's fourteen. Okay, it sounds strange to us. You know, oh, it sounds a bit odd. Isn't that the kind of thing you see on some wacky kind of TV channel? 
Uh, but no, it's just how they thought. It's called gematria. And so it, the point is that each of those three sections, 14 generations, is kind of flashing David, 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 David. And that's why Matthew chooses these 14s most likely. So, so it emphasizes that Jesus is the son of David, but, but also it's trying to emphasize that all of history is about getting Jesus on the throne. Okay, there's this whole drive, this whole story from page one of the Bible through to, well, in my Bible here, page 976, it has all been about getting Jesus on the throne. And that, in fact, is what history is about. Uh, Matthew gives us a clue, even in verse one. Uh, very literally, that, that first word, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Uh, he makes the same point in, in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, where we read about, uh, about the Genesis of Jesus uh, again. Uh, that the language is taken from the book of Genesis. He uses the same language as Genesis uh, 1 and 2. Jesus is saying, look, the whole of history is about getting this man on the throne, getting God's son on the throne. And again, that's why Matthew's gospel, which begins in a kind of Genesis way, uh, with the beginning of the Old Testament, ends the same way as the Old Testament ends. Uh, you probably haven't got a Bible on you, uh, but if you have, or a phone or something, if you just look at the end of two Chronicles, uh, two Chronicles is the last book uh, of the Bible in the way that the, the, the Jews of Jesus' day organised it. There's nothing special about the organisation of the Bible. Kind of makes sense to put Genesis at the beginning, doesn't it? And then Exodus, because they follow on each other. But it doesn't really matter too much whether you put... I don't know, Ephesians before or after Galatians. or, And anyway, in the, the way the Jews organised the Bible, two chronicles was the last, was the old of the end of the Old Testament. We tend to put Malachi, potatoes, potatoes. Uh, just listen to the end of two chronicles, or if you've got it on a phone, have a look at this. Okay, Cyrus is the world emperor. Verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. What do you see there? What you see is that the Old Testament ends in a very similar way to Matthew's Gospel. Okay, do you remember the end of Matthew's Gospel? Keep two chronicles open and let me read you the end of Matthew's Gospel and see if you can see and hear the repetition. So the 11 disciples go up to, to a mountain and Jesus speaks. All authority and in, heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What do you have at the end of both books? You have a great king, Cyrus, the emperor who rules over all sorts of nations. Jesus, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. Uh, both acknowledge their authority is given to them. Cyrus says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, both have a charge. Cyrus, although he's not a Jew, uh, wants the Jews to go and build God's temple. What does Jesus say? I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. He wants them to build the church. 
which is the temple, the true temple of the living God. Cyrus has a promise. The Lord your God be with you. Or may the Lord his God be with him. What does Jesus have? A promise. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Matthew finishes his gospel, or Jesus gives his last command, in a way that deliberately echoes the end of the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament was always just pointing forward to something much greater, not the building of a physical temple, but a spiritual one, the church. Not getting a human emperor on the throne, but the son of God on the throne of the universe. And again, all nations are invited to take part. Uh, You live quite literally in a story. That's what Matthew's trying to persuade us. This king has come to earth, he's on the throne, and your life is meant to be a part of his story. He is why you exist. Do do you think like that? It's so easy, isn't it, to to flip things around and start thinking that that God is there to help us. Now, we'd never say he exists for our sake. We're not that pompous. We're not that crass. But it's easy to think like it, isn't it? He is there to save me and get me into heaven. He is there to forgive my sins. And therefore, I use him as he and when he is useful to make my life better. I'm ill, I pray to him because he can deal with illnesses. I sin, I pray to him because he can forgive sins. I need something, I ask him because he can provide. But I've got my plan and my plan is my career, my family, my home. And then I use him as and when it's necessary to deal with the various problems that come up or to supply the various needs and desires I have. Matthew is saying you've got to turn that around. 2020 is a time that we've been so starved, haven't we? Taken away from church, taken away from fellowship, taken away from small groups. It's it's a year where very easily we could become folded in on ourselves. Life is all about me and my family. God needs to fit around my routines. Church needs to fit around my routines. One of my fears, it's it's great that, it's not working this morning, but it's great that in general we've been able to live stream because some people have been obviously clinically vulnerable and had to stay away. But one of my fears about streaming church is that it starts to give us the the thought that, hey, why don't we just keep going like this? Hey, when when the vaccine's in, why not stay at home? It works better for my family, actually, if if we stay at home and watch it on TV. It works better with our our kids. It works better uh, just because I have to work late on Saturday nights. It works better for us to watch it later on, on, on YouTube. And that still works for me because I'm still getting fed by the, by the, uh, the word as it's preached. What's the matter? But again, it's just a flipping things around, isn't it? It works better for me rather than thinking first and foremost, what is God's call? Well, to gather before him to worship. Is Christ there to look after you to fulfill your needs to deliver on your dreams or are you here to serve the king the king who will bless you but the king who does demand your obedience all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me he is a good king he's a king who wants what's best for you but what's best for you is not using him as a kind of fairy godmother to supply your every want but rather bowing before him, giving yourself wholeheartedly to him, rejoicing in the forgiveness he gives, but orientating your life around his rather than the other way around.
about to begin a new year, four days, whatever it is, uh, until January the 1st. It's time of New Year's resolutions and new plans and I'm going to read the Bible in the year and all sorts of schemes. But most fundamentally, most fundamentally, why not take stock? This king has come to save, to bless. He invites you, whatever you've done, whoever you are, whatever your background, into his family. He came to tie it all of you, my live. But why not ask yourself that question? How can 2021 be about me and my family serving him, living for him? I want to take that health check. Has 2020, with all its complications and disturbances, just begun to, to make you think that, that life is easier with him on the sidelines? Christ came into the world to save sinners and to rule over sinners. All authority is with him. And behold his promise, I will be with you to the end of the age. There's nothing to fear. There's no great risk, ultimately. Rather, it is the right way to live because it's in line with God's plan from Genesis to Revelation and from Revelation to eternity future. He has come. He will come again. Live with those truths at the centre of your vision for 2021. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't abandon us in our sin and misery. But then as we stumbled around in darkness at just the right time, uh, you sent your son, born of a woman, to save us from the law, from the curse of the law, uh, to save us from the foolishness of living for ourselves. Uh, We pray that you refresh us in that grace again this morning. And as we turn the corner uh, towards a new year, where again we have no idea uh, what you will send our way, uh, we pray that you would pour your spirit upon us and enable us to live lives orientated around him for his sake, rather than him fitting around us. We are so naturally selfish, our Father. We again pray your forgiveness, but ask that we'd be able to taste this year the joy of serving Jesus wholeheartedly. Bless us, we pray, therefore, in his name. Amen.